Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Okay, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest is coming all the way from Canada. Dr. Arden Berry completed both a Bachelor of Science in Pharmacy and Graduate Doctor of Pharmacy from the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. He also completed a PGY1 residency from Vancouver Coastal Health and a postdoctoral fellowship in cardiology pharmacotherapeutics from the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada. Dr. Barry is currently a clinical pharmacy and research specialist with Lower Mainland Pharmacy Services in Vancouver and has a partner appointment with the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of British Columbia. His practice and research areas of interest include ambulatory cardiology, primary care, and expanded scope of pharmacy practice. Arden, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. And uh, I think everyone will enjoy your, a little bit of your accent. <laughs> and <laughs> what are you now talking that... about? I, I don't have an accent. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. People probably think that I that I have an accent uh, being from the South. Well, uh, we I all never, have. <laughs> yeah, I never realized that I have an accent until I come to the to the States. And then everyone reminds me of that. Um, well, uh, we're, we're really glad to have you on the show and, um, you know, we've shared a little bit about your background, but if there's any other, um, gaps from that intro that you'd like to, to share a little, uh, bit more about your personal life, we'd love to hear that as well. No, that's about it for the most part. I mean, uh, I think it covered off most bases. I have to admit that on a personal level, I'm quite the podcast enthusiast, and this is my first podcast interview, so I'm really excited about it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's great to be here. It's an honor to be on your podcast. Congratulations! It's a it's a it's a wonderful um, initiative. Well, thank you. And you're very active on Twitter. So people that uh, are on Twitter, uh, make sure you're following uh, Dr. Barry at Arden Barry. We'll have all that in the show notes. Um, so that's uh, where I found uh, some of the interesting things that uh, you've been working on. And uh, yeah, let's kind of just dive in about um, prescriptive authority. Like, what does that look like for pharmacists in Canada? Well, there's there's variable authority for for pharmacists across the country, and very much like legislation differs from state to state. Uh, our provinces within Canada, pharmacists have different authority, but all provinces do allow some degree or some type of pharmacist prescribing. Um, there, it can range uh, anything from providing an emergency prescription or extending a, an existing prescription or providing a renewal. Um, some provinces allow for the adaptation of a prescription, and those can be uh, relatively simple things, things like a formula change uh, from a capsule, for example, to a liquid or a dose adjustment uh, or therapeutic substitution within the same category. Uh, some provinces allow for prescribing for what is termed minor ailments, and these would be things like uh, shingles or urinary tract infections, oral contraceptives, things like that. 
but the only there's only one province, and that's the, our neighbor uh, Alberta, that allows pharmacists to basically prescribe completely independently. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and it, yeah, it it that is very similar to how it looks in the states where. Um, of course, you've got federal law, but then differences um, state to state, so a lot to keep up with. Um, there some, yeah, there was mm-hmm. an issue. I know that uh, I'd like to highlight, of course, in the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy, there was a, an issue in September of 2016 that was dedicated just to pharmacists prescribing. And uh, if uh, for listeners that are interested, colleagues uh, from Alberta did publish an article in that uh, issue talking about the implementation of a framework to support pharmacists prescribing that was specifically in a health system environment or something we would call like a hospital or another healthcare related setting. Um, and currently we do have an advocacy campaign within our province in British Columbia to try to uh, get pharmacist prescribing for individuals, again, that work in that health system type setting. Um, and that's that's basically where we connected, of course, was the uh, the our Canadian Society of Hospital Pharmacists, which is uh, very similar to the the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, uh, our branch locally here in British Columbia had put together an infographic to try to uh, promote the benefits of pharmacists prescribing both amongst the public as well as as uh, other pharmacists and prescribers. And that was what uh, I think prompted our, our initial contact. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yes. And, you know, it's this is a very timely discussion because uh, there's actually um, not not necessarily an RFP, but but a request for information. So I'm, I guess like an ROI, <laughs> uh, uh, RFI. Yeah. Uh, like that, that's not quite it either. Um, but anyway, CMS uh, here in the States, uh, Center for Medicare and Medicaid, um Seema Verna, the leader for that, has requested that uh, that people submit uh, on their recommendations and examples of um, you know scope of practice, so that all of healthcare professionals are practicing at the top of their license, and uh, so that is going through um, January seventeenth. They're accepting those. Uh, via email, and that would be if if that gets changed because right now um, pharmacists in the U.S. are not recognized as providers under uh, Medicare. But um, by an executive order, there is an opportunity to change that. So hopefully, everyone submitted that. But yeah, definitely a very timely uh, topic. Well, I think that it, it's uh, something that, again, we're different, again, depends on which province you live in Canada, we're going through a similar type process. But this is not a new concept by any means in, in other parts of Canada or even, even in the world. So, for mm-hmm. example, the, the authority in Alberta was first granted in 2007. So it's been 12 years that it's been available. Um, pharmacists, uh, there's other wow. examples throughout the world where pharmacists do have the ability to prescribe um, the, one of the examples of, the, I think, the longest uh, situation where pharmacists have had the authority was in the United Kingdom, where they could prescribe with um, partnership with another provider since 2003, and then gained independent prescribing since 2006. Um, I mm. do believe as well, New Zealand has it. And I know there's some work in Australia. I don't believe that they have the authority just yet. But this is definitely not um, uh, an, an initiative isolated just to the United States. There's a lot of other interest in it in other parts of the world. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's so helpful to see um, what's working in other countries and, and things. Um, yeah, I uh, I was even just looking at um, APHA, American Pharmacist Association, um uh, kind of put out uh, some information about the clean med study, which was a Canadian study uh, looking at the impact on access to medicine. Um, And so, yeah, interesting to see how um, what, but Canada has um, free medical care, but no prescription coverage. Um, But they did a small or a study looking at uh, providing uh, about 130 meds uh, from the WHO essential med list. And uh, as you know, one would assume that there was an improved uh, adherence and, and outcomes uh, in those patients that did have access. So yeah, always interesting to get some learnings uh, from across the country. So yeah. great point. And and one one minor thing is that yeah we do have uh, you know you know what you describe as universal healthcare or single payer healthcare but yeah one area that that definitely is is an area for improvement within our own system is the concept of uh, of prescription coverage we do we do have some form of prescription coverage uh, that is funded through the government uh, for in various parts again it differs from province to province but we don't have a universal plan where where prescription medications are covered. There's a lot of um, coverage through extended medical plans, very similar to what they have in the United States for prescription coverage. Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 drug disposal of controlled substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste, compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Um, so Arden, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what are some of, you know, the reasons and examples of, of why pharmacists should have the authority to prescribe? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a big proponent of this authority and, you know, we're often described as the medication experts. And we already are playing a significant role in ensuring patients are receiving safe and optimal medical therapy. It just To me, it's a logical step that we should, again, have this authority. I think that pharmacists are very capable of accepting the increased accountability and responsibility for being able to prescribe. Uh, colleagues and I did a survey recently of pharmacists that work in hospitals in the in and around the Vancouver area, and there was an overwhelming positive response that individuals believed that they did have relevant expertise to prescribe. They worked in collaborative care settings and re- and had a lot of support from their physician colleagues, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of them indicated that they would um, apply for the authority if it was if it was granted to us. Um, I, I believe that pharmacists do also bring sort of a unique perspective to the prescribing because if you look at us versus potentially other uh, allied healthcare professionals, um, 
things like nurse practitioners or physician assistants. This was brought up to me by actually a physician colleague is that a, a pharmacist can provide a very unique perspective to prescribing through our knowledge of evidence-based medicine, um, safety, drug interactions, things like that. So we actually do provide a very unique opportunity. Uh, and the other point I'll often make about when this comes up is that pharmacists really, we, are, we already do prescribe in a lot of settings. Take, for example, over-the-counter medications. I'm, mm-hmm. It's not considered the same way as prescribing for a, a typical prescriptive drug. But in a lot of circumstances, pharmacists are interacting with patients. They're uh, making assessments um, and and diagnoses, dare I say the word, uh, but uh, at least an assessment of the patient and determining a proper course of action with a with a medication. Now, granted that over-the-counter medications don't have uh, as narrow therapeutic index as some prescription medications, but it is a form of prescribing. And so it's just another logical step that uh, pharmacists should be able to have the ability to again prescribe for uh, within their within their scope of practice. I mean, that's the other thing that I think is very important to to acknowledge. Um, I like to discuss my own uh, experience with this. Now, I practiced in Alberta uh, for four years before moving back to to Vancouver, and so my experience was in the coronary intensive care unit, so a very high acuity uh, setting, a lot of other prescribers on the unit. So, I mean, I, we had, it was a collaborative care. It was a team-based care. I wasn't going around and independently starting vasopressors and ionotropes on patients, but there was a lot of there was a lot left to be done for these individuals. I mean, there was medication reconciliation. There was a lot of non-cardiac drugs that patients would, uh, would be taking prior to admission. Uh, renal dose adjustments, therapeutic drug monitoring, um, treatment of minor conditions. These were all delegated to, to me as the pharmacist, and I was happy to go around and, and help patients in those ways. The other interesting fact that came up from that experience was that people would always say, well, you don't, you don't need to prescribe because you have a team of other individuals, six to eight other physicians potentially on our team, you know, from fellows to attendings to residents. And they often said, well, yes, oftentimes when we're rounding, we have a team environment, but, um, you know, the physicians, especially the trainees would often be off site or uh, doing other training in the afternoons and the attending may have other commitments. And so in some cases, I was the only prescriber on the unit in the afternoons after rounds. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, so you bring up a, a good point about the prescriptive authority and the scope of practice. So, um, now is that for any pharmacist anywhere or are there certain, you know, is it maybe, yeah, like you mentioned, maybe you're in a, a cardiac ICU or the hospital, um, would it be retail pharmacy or are there any kind of specifics on, on where that, uh, prescriptive authority might might be leveraged. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. And in Alberta, for example, that's where I had this authority. Uh, there was no restriction on the individual in terms of their practice setting or their education, for that matter. And so, any registered pharmacist could apply for the authority. It wasn't, but you, again, you did have to get an additional authorization to do it from a regulatory body. So it was, it did require um, a, a submission, uh, basically demonstrating your competency, uh, sort of in a portfolio format, uh, showing that you had the 
uh, competency to be able to prescribe. And then if it was um, approved by the regulator, then you were permitted to prescribe there afterwards. So again, it wasn't all pharmacists initially, uh, but anyone in any practice setting could, could potentially apply for the authority. Um, the initiative that's currently ongoing in our province of British Columbia uh, is specific to individuals practicing in collaborative care settings. Um, one mm-hmm. of the concerns that does come up is the concept of, you know, do pharmacists have the the appropriate knowledge in terms of diagnosis? And um, again, that's not not really the the idea behind it. Um, again, the physician, our physician colleagues are are very good at diagnoses, and it would be. Um, prescribing in a collaborative care type model so uh, mm-hmm. you know a, pa- a physician would would say diagnose somebody with hypertension for example and and then delegate the the management the pharmacologic management of that condition to the pharmacist and right. pharmacists could then prescribe there afterwards uh, yeah absolutely and and there has been some success with collaborative practice agreements and the U.S., um, but yeah, uh, having a, a more global and, and a little bit and being recognized uh, for those services and being able to bill certainly makes it a lot easier um, to be able to demonstrate that value. Mm-hmm. So, um, Arden, let's talk a little bit about uh, patient outcomes uh, with pharmacist prescribing. You know that's something you're interested in. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a growing body of evidence, and some of it's coming from Canada. This is what the f- evidence that I'm most familiar with. But there is evidence to demonstrate that pharmacist prescribing is very effective in terms of improving patient outcomes and and demonstrating benefit. A lot of the literature that has been done so far in Canada has come from Alberta, again, where they have the prescriptive authority and have had it for many years. But there is data to support that pharmacists prescribing improved glycemic control, patients with type 2 diabetes, improved blood pressure control in patients with hypertension, uh, and lower LDL uh, cholesterol in individuals with dyslipidemia. And so there's a, there's a, a few studies that have come out of Canada um, in the last few years that have demonstrated the benefit in terms of pharmacist prescribing. One of the one of the important ones, I believe, is something called REACH. And so individuals that are interested in this study, it was published in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, or JAC, uh, in 2016. Re- uh, listeners can also uh, Google the hashtag uh, reach and that's rx rx e-a-c-h to find out more about the study and you can um or on twitter you can find that as well uh, this was a study that was done in alberta it was a randomized control trial of 732 patients individuals who had cardiovascular risk factors and it was a community pharmacy-based intervention. So there was 56 pharmacies across the province that uh, had this intervention, uh, which was a what was described as a comprehensive medication management. And so this involved doing individual risk assessments of individuals in terms of their cardiovascular risk factors uh, with a specific focus on blood pressure, lipids, A1C for diabetes, and smoking cessation. And they compared that to just usual care. 
it was a short study. It was done in only three months with pharmacists following up every three to four weeks. But it did demonstrate an overall absolute reduction of 5% in individuals' cardiovascular risk scores. And that was a variety of different scores. Um, and for 21% overall risk reduction. Um, and uh, I acknowledge that these are surrogate markers, and it was a short trial, but I think they're very promising results because it was done... Um, it was done uh, in terms of feasibility. It demonstrated that pharmacists are very capable of doing this. And, and as well, it showed that, um, it, well, in terms of overall feasibility, it's difficult uh, to um, conduct a study with funding uh, in terms of long-term, like uh, to enroll enough patients uh, mm -hmm. and follow them for a long a period of time in order to demonstrate uh, benefit. Um, in the long term. So I think the surrogate outcome trials are, are very promising, at least initially. Um, sure. There was another Canadian study that was done recently as well that was demonstrated that pharmacists were very effective at uh, treating uncomplicated UTIs. So this one was was called the Route Map Study. Um, it was published in the Canadian Pharmacist Journal. And again, if you, if you search on Twitter under the hashtag, it's R hashtag R-X-O-U-T-M-A-P, um, you'll be able to find information about this study. And it was individuals that presented to a community pharmacy and in New Brunswick, which is in the Atlantic part of Canada, individuals either presented with symptoms of a UTI or with a prescription for an antibiotic for a UTI. And if the individual presented with the symptoms, the pharmacist would do an assessment and then prescribe accordingly. And um, there was overall an 89% uh, clinical resolution uh, and sustained resolution of symptoms in both groups with no difference between the two groups. And overall, there was uh, uh, what was high, high patient satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Wow. That, that, I mean, is certainly uh, some great evidence demonstrating uh, the, the great value of pharmacists being involved uh, with prescribing and um, I think, you know, you've mentioned it, it's it's really about kind of that team-based care. So um, working with the physicians, nurse practitioners, others, um, and, you know, pharmacists can do what pharmacists do best, which is manage medications uh, mm -hmm. and that pharmacological treatment. So um, some of that, you know, tight titration that is needed for uh, hypertension control or uh, diabetes. Diabetes control, um, lots of lots of good examples. Um, so, Arden, another kind of topic that I did want to touch on. Uh, it's certainly been a hot topic uh, here, probably uh, where you are as well. Um, is is the um, proposed importation plan uh, that has been um, put out by um, the the White House looking at, you know, drug prices uh, in the U.S. Uh, have been notoriously high, uh, unfortunately. And so there's been a blueprint uh, to address that. A lot of different solutions, whether it's direct-to-consumer advertising and, and listing list price, where, but that um, seems to be kind of held up a little bit in court. Um, there's a lot of other suggestions. One of them is uh, being able to uh, leverage the trade uh, from our, our neighbors 
to the north from Canada and trying to import medicine uh, from there. But there's there's some, I guess, practicality uh, considerations that that I have. Um, what are your thoughts from um, you know the Canadian perspective? And you know, is this kind of a hot topic for you guys, or what, what's kind of your perspective? Yeah, it has been a very hot topic for discussion here as well. And it's I, I fully support that Americans should have access to more affordable prescription medications. I know that mm-hmm. some of the uh, cost of medications in the United States are just astronomical. Mm-hmm. However, I have to admit that based on my knowledge of this proposal and my understanding of it, I don't think it's the the answer to making medications more affordable in the United States. I mean, the concept of Americans coming to Canada to get less expensive prescription medications has been going on for many years. I can remember in my first experience in a pharmacy in Victoria, uh, Canada, which is just across from Port Angeles, is we'd have Americans that would come over on the ferry and our pharmacy just happened to be one of the closest ones to the ferry terminal. And so uh, Americans would come in and they'd have their prescriptions rewritten by a Canadian physician and then come to our pharmacy to fill it. And I was I was very surprised by the fact that um, you could come over on the trip, um, pay the expense of that, pay to see a physician, pay for the mm-hmm. prescriptions, and it was still less expensive than what they were paying in terms of their medications in the United, in the United States. So, as as mm-hmm. I understand, the FDA does allow a three month personal supply of medications, uh, but this new policy, as I understand, would would allow for more of a mass importation. Um, and so, in there are a number of concerns regarding this proposal. I think that is. Um, it's hard to speak for all Canadians, but this is these are the talking points that uh, amongst our colleagues that have, we have been discussing. First is is that uh, we've had some unprecedented drug shortages across Canada within the last couple of years, and I think there's mm-hmm. some legitimate concern that first of all this could this could worsen those drug shortages. And the second issue is that I don't think Canada is structured to produce the amount of medications that really would be required for the U.S. population, which Mm -hmm. is roughly 10 times that of of Canada. We we have some drug manufacturing in Canada, but a lot of our drug companies are subsidiaries of larger American or European companies. And so there's there's not a lot of manufacturing that, that is done in Canada. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense to me for these companies to manufacture drugs that are being exported to the Canada to then have them re-exported to the United States. I mean, the most extreme example of that would be drugs that are manufactured in the United States for Canada that would mm-hmm. then be mm-hmm. exported to us and then re-exported back to you at a lower cost. It, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, those are great points that you've that you've brought up. Um, and yeah, not not only have Americans been going to Canada, you also hear stories of them crossing the southern border and going to Mexico. Um, and I've even seen where I believe um, the state of Utah was like sending employees down uh, because the cost of prescriptions was so much lower. So a lot of, lot of uh, interesting things happening, but um, yeah, uh, I I agree with kind of your, your thoughts and um, uh, considerations. Uh, Another uh, point too is 
um, the Drug Supply Chain and Security Act, which was passed in the U.S. in 2013 to combat uh, some of the uh, impurities in the supply chain that were happening uh, specifically with compounding. And they really wanted to, you know, we know in uh, the, the food industry, when there is an E. coli outbreak from romaine lettuce, which farm it was in Arizona. But it's amazing that the pharmaceutical supply chain has yet to be that sophisticated. And so um, we've been on this path to uh, really be able to track medications from pharmacy, uh, from a manufacturer all the way to pharmacy. And so I think that, you know, the importation might also... Um, put some some limits or, or uh, kind of mess with that. So yeah, um, we have a, a fairly um, robust standard in terms of quality control of our drug supply. And I think that maybe that might be one of the factors that is desirable to the United States. And we may have stronger regulations than maybe other countries, for example, Mexico. Um, but mm-hmm. what we've seen recently, again, with the drug shortages is that I think the manufacture of drugs is becoming more global and we've had recalls mm-hmm. of, of various drugs that have affected both supplies in Canada and the United States because of suspected impurities uh, from the raw products. And it's surprising to me that we've had a, a couple of examples of different molecules where the whole, basically the 100% of the supply in the country uh, could have been affected because everybody was getting their raw supplies from the from the same supplier. So it it is quite concerning overall uh, in terms of of having a having a safe drug supply. The other thing that comes to mind that I I would caution everybody about is that we've had issues with internet pharmacies that um, mm-hmm. potentially are supplying medications to the United States that are either counterfeit medication or don't even contain the actual medication. It's it's sad from our perspective because they they pose as Canadian pharmacies and, and it looks very legitimate and yeah. you know they have Canadian flags all over the website and and it's it's just a it's just a, a sham and and oftentimes these drugs are coming from other countries and they're just sort of routing them through Canada so it makes it appear as though that they're coming directly from Canada. But um, yeah, there's a lot of concern regarding the legitimacy of those pharmacies. Yes. Yes. Wow. Interesting. And uh, to your point about the globalization of manufacturing, um, now uh, apparently 80% of the API for the for the world is coming out of, of China. Uh, India is making a lot of it too. But um, the API or, or active pharmaceutical ingredient is kind of that core piece that's needed uh, for the manufacturing. And, and it's really been moved away from the U.S., North America, um, et cetera, and other countries are stepping in. And so maybe they, you know, don't have as high of quality standards. Uh, I just read the Bottle of Lies book, uh, which is really interesting. Uh, Anybody in uh, pharmacy should definitely take a look at that. There's a couple other interesting books talking about the supply chain. Uh, I have not yet read China Rx, but I know the author was... um, 
received an award from APHA uh, for her investigative journaling. So, so many fascinating things that are happening within the supply chain. And uh, I think uh, you brought up as as pharmacists, uh, we've got to be uh, kind of championing the the safety and the quality of of medications. Um, so we will continue to kind of take that charge. Um, so Arden, this has been such an interesting discussion and I want to, uh, uh, leave with our final question, which is, uh, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career? Mm-hmm. It's a very good question. And I have to admit that out of all the questions, this is probably one that throws me the most, but I think that I would, I would remind my younger self that, um, to just, to just enjoy the ride. I think that, um, you know, I've been very lucky in, in my career to date and within the profession. I mean, it's, um, it's so wonderful that as a pharmacist, we can do so many different types of things, everything from, um, you know, working in, in a variety of settings, community-based settings, primary care, hospital settings, um, but it also opens so many other doors and, and there is so many, so many opportunities. I mean, you can even become a podcaster, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I think that it's just, it's to, to, for younger pharmacists, just to, um, to look at all their options and, and pursue what they enjoy because ultimately it's going to make, it's going to, you know, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, those couple of years of extra training here and there, uh, even as um, it may seem daunting. I, mean, I know it was for me when I first graduated to do any sort of extra training or, or pursue other options, but it's just, it's so rewarding um, at, at this point in my career that uh, I took, that I took those extra options. And so I would just uh, recommend to people to, do, again, just follow their passion and they'll, and they'll enjoy it. Awesome. Such great advice and, and such fun to uh, discuss uh, pharmacist prescribing with you. And we appreciate you being a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I'm happy to come back anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.